The Voice America Talk Radio Network. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 219 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is Salvation Army Lawson Ministries advocating for adults with developmental disabilities and supporting their families. In 2011, February, I hosted the episode titled Airborne Films, Airborne Hopes for Young Adults with Mental Health Conditions. It was the story of the Salvation Army at Lawson Ministries' support for young adults in the form of training and work producing videos. The training was for young adults with developmental disabilities. My guests were Deanna Finch-Smith, Executive Director of the Lawson Ministries, and Bruce Ritchie, Moderator and CEO of the Fetal Alcohol Disorder Society. He's a single father of a son who, as an infant, was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. Today's episode is an update on the work of the Salvation Army Lawson Ministries. It comes at a time when concern is increasing about the challenges faced by young adults with developmental disabilities and by their families, which is why our topic, Salvation Army Lawson Ministries Advocating for Adults with Developmental Disabilities and Supporting Their Families, is so timely. To discuss it, our guest is Lisa Schumpf. Lisa is Program Manager of the Salvation Army Lawson Ministries in Hamilton, Ontario. She holds an honours degree in psychology. She manages and coordinates various programs of support for adults with developmental disabilities and their families. The programs um, she she uh, manages and su- coordinates include day supports and employment support for the Autism Centre, planning and implementation of a new service model specifically for adults with autism spectrum disorder, the Caledonia Thrift Store, a social enterprise focused on skills training and employment. Uh, another of the programmes is the residential programmes, that's a sub-programme, new tenant referrals, which supports for each person. The Supported Independent Living Programme, which oversees community-based services for people living independently. That's another one. And then there's the FRWY Coffee House, which is building a viable social enterprise to support a community need for a hub in the downtown core. And then another one is Community Access to Transportation, a two-year pilot project involving various agencies and local school boards with the goal of sustaining the program. So, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Atherley, for having me. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your personal story. Well, my personal story aligns very well with my professional story. I began working in developmental services when I was in high school and 
just enjoyed it so much. I worked in a special needs class as a co-op student, and then um, later got to do some traveling. I traveled throughout Switzerland and Europe and worked in a school and also worked with special needs uh, programs. And then I completed my BA in 1994 and worked in brain injury services for a period of time before moving to Hamilton in 1995. And then a year later, began work at uh, Salvation Army Loss Ministries. Now, let's talk more. You tell us more, please, about your work with the Lawson Ministries. Well, as I said, I began in 1996, and uh, Deanna Finch-Smith, our executive director, hired me. Uh, we, we just struck up a really intense conversation about the changing needs of adults with developmental disabilities and how work I had done in brain injury services could actually help to, to redesign the services we were offering at Lawson Ministries. So in 1996, she hired me as a frontline staff and really gave me the opportunity uh, to work with the Salvation Army to, to develop more individualized supports. We started with a group of six people in our day program, and uh, I was writing proposals to, um, to develop a new funding model, uh, and our first big sort of funding opportunity came in 1999. We were given uh, funding specifically to assist adults transition from school to the community, and we were one of 11 agencies in the province to receive this funding. And now, all this many years later, we have over 200 individuals that we support in the community. Now, please tell us more about the work of the ministries, all the things it does, um, including, obviously, the programs you're involved with, but also all the others. You Lisa? did an awesome, awesome job explaining sort of in the intro, but I can just recap a little bit that uh, we assist adults, so 18 and above, with developmental disabilities. We assist them through their adult life, the first transition being from school to the community, and the second transition into aging and sort of getting into sort of more retirement. So it's a full spectrum of support that we offer. It includes supporting people to find meaningful work, assisting them in their homes, as well um, developing new opportunities for them. So things you mentioned, including Airborne Video Production Company, a company really designed to assist adults with autism to work in the in the video industry. So. We are an agency that really, really benefits from the strong, strong network that we have within the Salvation Army. Uh, we were able to um, work with the Caledonia Thrift Store. In fact, we run it now as a training ground. The Freeway Cafe or Coffee House, we run it as a training ground to assist people to learn skills to become baristas. Uh, we have an 11-unit apartment building that we support individuals in their own home the brand-new Autism Center where people come here for very specific therapeutic programming that will help them in the community. And uh, we also have just started a rural farm just located outside of Binbrook, which is about uh, half an hour outside of Hamilton. And that is a program for people who really benefit from living in a rural environment. Let's, let me just follow up on one thing you said and it relates somewhat to the introduction. And that is, you talked about changing needs for the communities you're working with, for the people you're working with. Please give us an illustration of way the, the ways those needs are changing. 
Absolutely. Um, people are leaving high school, and there's not very much for people to do after high school. So a young individual who in high school may have been involved in sports, may have had a full five days of support in school, may have had a, a little part-time job through school, when they graduate into the community, they're no longer entitled to those services. So families really, really are challenged to meet the changing needs of their child and to meet their own changing needs as caregivers as they are aging and may have health issues. It's, it's, it's a very stressful time for families and a very stressful time for individuals with developmental disabilities because it's such a drastic change from, from the school to the community. Presumably some of the causes of that, those drastic effects are, is the job situation, the economic situation in various places all over North America. How much of a factor is that? Huge. I think there, it's a two-pronged question. Families, because of the economic stress of having a child with a developmental disabilities, often parents, both parents have to work. Um, Many years ago, it was often the case that uh, moms would choose to stay home, and that was their job, was to, to support and nurture their child with a developmental disability. Now the changing face is that both parents, for economic reasons, need to work, but also because there are so few jobs for people with developmental disabilities, it often means the added burden of, of having to figure out supports for their adult child once they've left school. So it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a crunch in terms of the need to work, but also the need to find meaningful activities. I've done an episode recently, Lisa, um, where I asked members of the immigrant multicultural community about some of the challenges they face. And they re referred to something that I think you've also just indicated, and that is struggling to make a living to support the family and at the same time being family caregivers, um, providing family caregiving for a young adult or maybe an elderly relative, an elderly mom and pop, um, is a huge stress and strain on them. Mm -hmm. And what for the makes it particularly difficult for the immigrant community is that um, they may not have the necessary work experience or there may be language difficulties and that kind of thing. To what extent do you experience those kind of issues in the work that you do? Hamilton is a real um, patchwork quilt. We have a, a thriving immigrant community in Hamilton. Often people, this will be people's first stop when they immigrate to Canada. It's sort of a hub for immigration and we do work with people who have children with developmental disabilities who have immigrated from other countries, and they face huge challenges because of lack of housing, lack of supports, um, language and cultural barriers. Um, so we as a, as a community have to do a better job in terms of meeting their needs as opposed to people moving to, to our community and needing to fit in. I think there's a stronger emphasis that we need to be culturally sensitive to the needs of, of other communities that are moving to our country because they don't have the resources often to make that bridge themselves. So I think being culturally sensitive and working with other organizations, the, you know, immigrant community groups that do have those natural bridges, we really, really work hard at doing that because 
there's a real changing face to our community in terms of the, and I think it's a good thing, but it's a challenging thing to meet those new needs and the emerging needs. And one example, we are actually working with one family that's moved from um, Africa with their, their grandparents, their kids, and their sort of extended family, and they have a young child who has autism. And so just connecting them not only to autism services, but also working on the language barriers and the cultural barriers. And I think it's, it's a challenge, but that's what we're here for. Now, on that point, um, we're going to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Lisa Schumpf. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Lisa Schrumpf. Our topic is Salvation Army Lawson Ministries advocating for adults with developmental disabilities and supporting their families. So, Lisa, now let's talk about the challenges experienced by adults with the disabilities and also by their families. You've already mentioned several aspects of this, but I'd like to go into more detail. Now, first off, for the adults that you, Laws and Ministries, support, what typically are the types of developmental disabilities and what are the most challenging of the challenges that they faced? That's a really good question because somebody said to me, describe sort of a typical person that you would support and there is no typical person. They, the range of, of unique abilities and the range of unique challenges is, is unbelievable. But I can give you an example that, or two examples that highlight the range. Uh, five years ago, we um, transitioned somebody who had been living his entire life in an institution near Ottawa, and he was uh, 75 years old when we transitioned him into his own apartment in Hamilton. 
And uh, so that, that that was an individual who had never lived outside of an institution. Uh, he was born at a time when that was considered society's way of, of supporting adults with developmental disabilities. And families were encouraged, basically at birth, to give up their children. So that's sort of one end of the spectrum, right through to people who are extremely high-functioning with autism, who run their own video production company, which I, I know you saw a few years ago. I think that story, by the way, is something that we should do again, but um, we'll come back to that later mm -hmm. on. Now, let's talk about the challenges, the most challenging of the challenges experienced um, by the families Mm -hmm. of the adults with developmental disabilities. What, what are the really challenging challenges that mm -hmm. they face? Well, 50 years ago, it would have been giving up your child to an institution. That would have been society's answer to this question. Now, society's answer is, okay, your child is going to live with you for, for their adult life, for their whole life and yours. And so the big challenge, and, and we've worked with a lot of families, uh, the transition into the adult world. So families have this, depending on the needs of the individual child, they have huge decisions to make. Do they, does somebody give up their job so that they can take care of their son or daughter when they leave high school? And we do have one example where one individual had seizures to the point where every time he had a seizure, he would have to go into the hospital. And the family were so concerned about his changing needs that, um, the father took early retirement to be a primary caregiver, and of course they suffered for that in terms of the economic changes, but they felt that was the decision that they had to make. Another example is um, an individual who, single mom, who has a child who, who needs complete care, and she must work full-time, so she's patched together um, her own sort of almost uh, agency to support the needs of her child. So these are huge challenges. I want to ask you something else about the challenging challenges. Mm -hmm. And these are the challenges to quality of life and hope experienced by the adults themselves with the developmental disabilities and by their families. Challenges to quality and of life and hope. What are those, Lisa? Acceptance by society of people with developmental disabilities and inclusion in the community. I think if you asked any parent, you know, tell me what you're most proud of your child. It's, it's when your child succeeds. And an example would be an individual that uh, got a job at uh, the local grocery store called No Frills and coming home with his, his No Frills shirt with the logo and the parent saying, this is as important to me as when my other son got into law school. This was, it was so important because it's so validating and it, it speaks to that everybody in society has a place. And that's really what I consider my job to be is the person who tries to make those connections with individuals to the community. You used the word validates and you also implied and used the word, I think, value. That sense that when we do a job of work and somebody pays us something for it, it creates in us the sense that we have value and what we have, what we have to offer, what we do has value. Is that something you see in the adults 
who are going out to work, the adults with developmental disabilities, who are going into employment of some kind, work of some kind. Do you see that? Yes, and it's not even for the pay because many of the people we support may not have an understanding of payment for work, but they have a strong understanding of being valued and being accepted. And they know very well when they're being accepted, and they also understand very well when they're being shunned or ignored. And I think that that's, that is, for me, the big overarching goal of our service as an agency is to to really give people, empower people to be part of society. And that's, I think, what everybody wants in life. And it's, it's a big challenge because uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, it's very difficult for people to find work in our society. The economy is not doing so well. We haven't sort of, the, the economic engine has not fully rebooted. So it's, it's really for us about making connection to employer champions. And we have many in Hamilton who have really said, yeah, we believe in this, we believe in inclusion, and it's part of our um, our philosophy as an employer, and it's something that we think brings value to our work when we hire people with developmental disabilities. It, it's a corporate culture that many, many employers embrace, but not enough yet. But you're making real progress, aren't you, in getting employers to recognize the value and, yep. and the service? We developed with our employment supports program probably seven or eight years ago, we developed an employer toolkit. And what it was is a, a little brochure that speaks to the business case for hiring people with developmental disabilities, that these are individuals who really, once given the skills, will be your very best employees because they have such a strong desire to be in, in, the, in society and to be working and being part of the community. And that's definitely been the case. In fact, when we speak to um, service clubs and groups, I will often invite employer champions with me uh, to talk about the business case of hiring, as well as there's a strong social value to having a workplace that really mirrors the community. And that's something that uh, I think more and more employers are embracing. You talked about um, young young adults within the Lawson Ministries being trained as baristas. As yes. I understand it, those are people who um, serve, make and serve the coffee, yes. specialized, and take the money, mm-hmm. uh, maybe the credit cards or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and generally do all the transactions associated yes. with drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, in a nice coffee bar. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to me to exemplify several things you've said. First of all, the value. These are young adults who would otherwise in the past, dare I say it, have been rejected yes. or locked or kept locked away yes. or something of that nature. Now they're working in an environment where they see the public, the public see them, they're trained to do a job, they do the job, and this is my question, it's right to say that when they go home themselves and they go home to their family caregivers, to their families, to their siblings. They have that sense of having achieved something during the day and therefore have a high quality of life. I'm leading you in this question. And hope for the future. Am I right? Absolutely. 
And an example, I will riff off of you one more and, and just add to that by saying that McMaster University is one of our employer champions. It's a local university, and they've hired many people with developmental disabilities as part of their work culture. And an example is that we have a young man with autism. He works at McMaster Sport Fitness, and he does all of they have lots and lots of glass. He is a window cleaner, and his sister also works at Mac. And, and it's completely wonderful that they can meet up for lunch, they're, you know, as siblings, that he works there and she also works at McMaster, and they're able to, to really be equals in that respect. And even though they're doing very different work and the individual is supported with a job coach to be there, he is part of his community, he is, he's valued, and it's a job that needs to get done. So I think those are the important, for me, the foundation pieces are it's meaningful work, it's work that is remunerated, and it's work that makes the individual feel empowered. I think that's that's really our our goal in terms of supported employment. And you said earlier you described how um, a family a family caregiver mm-hmm. um, said to explain to you that they were as proud of their young adult yes. who was now working. Uh, outside in what I would call a sandwich board. Yeah. I don't know if that's right. Yeah. Uh, when that young person did that work, they were as proud as they were when their other child was admitted to law school. Yes. Now, that's very powerful because and I want to ask you to develop that. This is that sense of quality of life and hope for family caregivers, for families. Is that right? Yeah, and the goal is let's all work to our highest potential. And if we're doing that as a parent, as a caregiver, you cannot ask for more. To have a child who is working to their potential and who is who has a sense of, of pride in what they do, be it working at a lunch counter, facing shelves in a grocery store, uh, working for the legal aid, society it's all to me the similar feeling of having a, being a part of helping somebody to self-actualize and that's it's very difficult for families who have a child with a developmental disability because those natural they don't it doesn't happen naturally they really have to create it they have to create those opportunities and they have to network with service providers because it's not something that will naturally come to that child it has to be created and in that sense, and this is just a very quick sort of social commentary on my mm-hmm. part, the fact that it has to be worked for also implies value. It also puts value into what's achieved because it didn't come automatically. Mm-hmm. It didn't come with the mail. It was something that had to be worked for. And therefore, people feel proud. Is that right? Absolutely. And we, we all do, all of us who are stakeholders, in, in that individual's life, we all sort of pat ourselves on the back with the individual because I think it does take a community as someone, someone very smart once said it takes a community to raise a child. It definitely takes a community to support an adult with a developmental disability. Right. 
Now, it's time for the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Lisa Schrumpf. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We will be back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. Boxing, like networking, is a contact sport. The more contacts and connections you make, the greater your success. If you're a business owner, sales agent, or job seeker, it's all about the connection. If you want help in your corner, pick up a copy of Knockout Networking today by speaker and author Michael Goldberg. Michael's book will absolutely help you generate more prospects, more referrals, and more business, or more job leads, or even more social connections. Knockout Networking will help you feel Feel more confident speaking with people you don't know. Determine who your target market is. The best way to introduce yourself at business meetings. How to deliver an elevator pitch. Follow-up. And how to generate more leads. Social media isn't always the answer, but Knockout Networking is. Visit KnockoutNetworking.com to pick up your copy of Michael Goldberg's book, Knockout Networking. Remember, nothing happens in business without a connection. So make the right connections. Visit KnockoutNetworking.com today. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Lisa Schumpf. Our topic is Salvation Army Lawson Ministries advocating for adults with developmental disabilities and supporting their families. Now let's talk about the ways in which the Lawson Ministries supports adults with developmental disabilities and supports their families. So Lisa, first question, what supports does the Lawson Ministries provide for the adults with these disabilities, these challenges? Okay. I guess the best way and the simplest way to describe how we help people in our community, we have day supports, meaning people come to either come to work or they come to our day center or we support them in their homes or a combination of both. So during the day we offer our STRIVE program, which is skills, training, 
recreation, integration, vocation, and employment. So that is a service that is completely based on individual goals. So you may come after you've graduated from high school and you may say, I really, really would like an opportunity to uh, work in a, in a, with horses, let's say. And we would actually work on setting up the specific things that need to occur for that to happen. We start usually with assessments and we start usually with finding out what are the unique challenges that the person has and what are some of the areas of strength. And so we do work closely with the individual. And um, my philosophy in terms of supporting people is nothing for me without me. So we really want to make sure that what we're providing for support is what the individual really wants because otherwise I don't think it would work. So we start at that point with just finding out what are the interests, what are the goals, and then looking, secondly, at what are the funded service opportunities. So in, in Ontario, funding is individualized, and families actually need to go to the Developmental Services Ontario uh, before graduating from high school to do the application for funding. And then they're able to actually, with their funding, resource staff and our supports. So it's, it's highly individualized, but we do offer a lot of opportunities within the day service for recreation, for employment, and we try not to make services congregating. So we're not bringing people together with other individuals. We're trying to individualize support as much as possible, unless there's a common interest. For instance, many people enjoy bowling, so we set up bowling groups, swimming groups, and then if the need is there, we will support the individual. But often it, they're then going either independently or with small supervision. So that's our day supports. Residentially, the same model exists. We support people in their own home, in their own way. So one of the, one of the programs we offer is uh, a community apartment program where people live in, um, we have an 11-unit, three-bedroom apartment building, and people live with supports embedded as needed. Some people have very little support. Other people have intense one-to-one support, including the gentleman who came from the institution. So he has a lot more support services. However, it's based on what his needs are. Now let's talk about the same thing, the same stream, that's of support provided by the ministry yes. for the families. So we, we support people by helping them to navigate the system so it's, it's often our role is, is directly involving their children, so we work in partnership with caregivers. So if there is a strong need for um, speech therapy and communication, as an example, we will actually make referrals with families for speech therapy. And where many, many times it's a matter of knowing where to go and how to access services. So we navigate systems with families as well. We match families to other families so that have already been through the, the transition process or may have similar issues in terms of their challenges, we will match families to support each other. We also, at our Autism Center, uh, have the benefit of having Autism Ontario as a tenant of our building, and they offer family self-help groups and advocacy, and they also work directly with families on um, 
getting respite supports as well as therapeutic programming. So we're part of a really broad network as well with um, the Hamilton Family Network. We coordinate services directly with families so that they can have a break when they need it. That would be called respite or respite, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. Now, let's talk again about the supports and the way they bring hope and improvement of quality of life for adults with the disabilities and for their families. What, how would you identify the way in which these supports bring hope? And can you give us some examples? Well, we, we draw on such a deep well of experience and being a part of the Salvation Army is, is a huge benefit to families because not only are we able to provide direct services and direct supports, everything from uh, we have a mini gym in our autism center to providing respite supports in people's homes, but also being part of a network as broad and as deep as the Salvation Army does does give hope because we're also able to um, offer supports in terms of um, spiritual counsel, spiritual care, and I think families, while it's not something a service that everyone is looking for, it is a service. Pastoral care is something that we are able to offer through the Salvation Army, and it's something, too, that families, it's there if they need it. If they don't, that's okay, too. So I really, really feel the benefit of working for an organization that's so deeply rooted in our community. We are one of 13 social service agencies in Hamilton, and so the Salvation Army, uh, we do so many different, wide variety of services that if we know of a family that is in dire need, just of basic needs in terms of shelter, food, housing, we're able to link up and, and create a circle of support with that family. And that specifically then helps the individual with the developmental disability. We also partner very closely with school boards because the transition from school to community, if it's going to work, it's going to work because everybody is engaged for the same purpose. So the school boards, if they've done bus training already, if they've done work experience with the individual and we're able to pass the baton directly to the community, then that will increase the, the, the positive outcomes for that person rather than having to recreate the wheel or have that person stay at home when they could be benefiting from a community experience. So I think engaging with the school boards really does help families because we're able to take all of that learning from tw- for 21 years and apply it to the community. And also, I guess, the other... The other support service that we connect to to improve quality of life for, for the people we support is Developmental Services Ontario. They're, they're part of the funding mechanism that makes all of these things happen. So it's through the DSO that families do receive their funding and they're able to actually purchase services directly and work with our agency. So they're a, a close community partner. Uh- Talking of partners and partnership, you'd mentioned the way in which our family, families, family caregivers in families work together to support each other. Now that reflects something that I've heard often on this show, and the, the way I describe it is is this. It's as though 
family caregivers who've traveled a road, the road of family caregiving, they reach a certain point where they stop, look around, look over their shoulders, and they see somebody else just starting out on the road, and they hold their hands out to the new person starting out on the road by way of helping them. Um, that is my impression. To what extent is the kind of thing that you do by bringing families together reflecting that sense of, I want to help, I want to help others? Yeah, it's Lisa? like I would, the analogy I would use, Dr. Atherley, is that we're all climbing up a ladder and either we help each other to get up or kick down. And I think most families that we support bring each other up that ladder together. And, and each rung is very hard, and each rung can be very, but can also be very positive, depending on, on the person that's above. So we do look to families to, to assist in that transition. So if we know that there's an, a family that's really, really struggling in the community for whatever reason, and some of the, some of the situations that occur, for instance, a sole caregiver, um, just recently, his wife had, had passed away, and he was looking after his son, who has very high needs, and he was just asked, or had to go into the hospital for cancer surgery. So other families networked with him to provide the support for his son. So, And we created the glue because we were actually working with the other families. So it was a, circ- a really tight circle of support, and there's things that are going on that are very innovative between families in terms of shared care models, in terms of alternate care and respite support services to to take whatever funding they have and to really make the most of it, but also to make sure that number one is, is reducing harm, reducing risk. So I think that there's a lot of real opportunity in networking between families and, and also with agency partners. What I'm going to respond to you with is another sort of model. But what you're describing is community-based care right down to the level of families, individuals working together, having been brought together by the ministries, by the Salvation Army, in various ways and under various circumstances, so that they are working with each other, with the help of the ministries and other services, so that they are in effect supporting each other. Is that right, just very quickly? You're absolutely right, because without it, there's just so much risk and so much stress put on families. And so I think we've always said, wherever we can do and wherever our support is needed, we'll bring in the supports. But I think a lot of families, a lot of families want to have their their son or daughter with a developmental disability living with them. They just need the right kind of supports: the emotional support of having a caregiver network, the physical supports of being able to access respite, and and an employment support service that is that will support in job coaching. When all these pieces of support are put in place, families, for the most part, are able to to carry on and continue. But when one or two pieces break down, often it leads to crisis, which may end up requiring more intensive support, which would be um, moving into a residential facility or moving into a a sort of a group home model. So I think a lot of families, 
They say, no, you know what, if we have to go there, we will. But as long as these other structures are in place, we can keep it together. Now, it's talking of keeping things together. It is time when we take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Everly, and my guest is Lisa Schrumpf. Uh, you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. what makes the most successful people tick keep listening to the voice america empowerment channel VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. tune in every week for the wellness lounge a step further with host desiree watson our program empowers you to incorporate a wellness lifestyle into your life supported by a diverse selection of guests including physicians athletes, and education and government professionals while helping you realize the connection between mind, body, and spirit. You'll achieve a personal edge in injury avoidance, stress management, and personal development. The Wellness Lounge, a step further, airs Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Do you ever feel stuck on a hamster wheel? Constantly running but getting nowhere? Ready to try something different? The secret is actually quite simple. When you fall in love with yourself, everything else falls into place, personally and professionally. Each week, you can find out how to choose your energy and change your life with your host, Deborah Jane Wells. It's time to get unstuck. Reclaim your personal power and recapture your zest for living. Tune in to Choose Your Energy, Change Your Life. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Lisa Schumpf. Our topic is Salvation Army Lawson Ministries advocating for adults with developmental disabilities and supporting their families. So, Lisa, let's talk about more things you want to do and want to see done to help adults and their families. So let's start off. Um, what more do you want to do and see done through the Salvation Army Laws and Ministries to help the adults and to support their families? Well, top on my wish list, and it, it, it does sort of come from our topic earlier, is respite services to help families. Um, I met with a family last week who have three children. All three have um, two have developmental disabilities and the other has a physical disability. And the 
the parents have not gone out for dinner in 10 years, just the two of them, because usually one must be at home while the other works, and they share the load. And they said, you know, just the idea of being able to have a break could keep things together. So I, I think respite services, I think a lot of families would nod their heads in agreement that it's just a matter of not a lot of support, but the right support at the right time. So flexible respite uh, to help families remain intact, and that would be also part of a circle of support. I think that for me that would be really critical to maintaining families and, and also quality of life for everybody. What more do you want to see done by healthcare and social systems to help adults, the adults with developmental disabilities, and to support their families? Yeah, one of the individuals that uh, we support in his own home, he went in for a fairly invasive surgical procedure about a month ago. And one of the things we as support workers noted was that the physicians and the healthcare workers within the hospital had absolutely no real knowledge of adults with developmental disabilities and what specific supports they would need. So I think it would be helpful to collaborate more and to offer training to physicians and healthcare workers in terms of the very specialized needs of adults with developmental disabilities and autism. I'm going to follow up with a question um, that's a how type of question, and it's this. Um, as you know, healthcare people, doctors and nurses, use things called clinical practice guidelines. These are documents describing what the experts think should be done in particular medical or health circumstances. They're a, they're a form of advice. It's the best advice available, and it's made available to doctors and nurses. There is now some discussion about the idea of having family caregiver guidelines with exactly the same pur purpose, that is, helping them, families, family caregivers, um, understand what's n the best way to approach particular challenges, and it could be that such guidelines would be helpful for the families to discuss with the doctors and the nurses almost with the question, well, doctor or nurse, how can you help us with the things that we're going to have to do? What do you think? I love it. In fact, we think that there's a real role for caregivers to educate healthcare practitioners, and I think that it would be very helpful to the it would be helpful to the health outcomes of individuals with developmental disabilities if we had more conversations and embedded more of our knowledge into the healthcare system. Because uh, adults, for example, who are nonverbal, you cannot interview them in the same way you interview somebody who is verbal. There has to be new new ways of communicating and new ways of finding out how somebody is from a health perspective and new ways of, of looking at the needs of individuals, because as adults with developmental disabilities age, they age quickly and they age with, I think, greater issues in terms of, there's a greater impact on the healthcare system when somebody with a developmental disability goes into hospital. And it's, it's, it's a very tricky thing to navigate, and I think it is something we have to do together. 
So what we're talking about is bringing the family, the family caregivers, uh, basically into a kind of team, a community support with the healthcare professionals and social service professionals. But, and I'm going to do put in a plug for the Salvation Army, facilitated by the Salvation Army in its kinds of services working with others to bring everybody together to understand what the needs are. And um, I'm going to leave that just as a comment, but I want to go to the next question, mm-hmm. which will enable you to respond to that if you want to. I want to know what your message is, your message mm-hmm. is for adults who live with developmental disabilities and for their families. What's your message, Lisa? My message is that the system can work, and I, I think the Salvation Army Loss and Ministries is part of a broad, broader system. The whole system can work if we work in the context of a partnership with families and caregivers. So that means families can't simply refer to our service and then wash their hands and say, okay, this is Johnny's your problem now, good luck, but rather... Johnny needs certain things in his life that I cannot provide as his caregiver. And you as a service provider, these are the things that Johnny needs to be successful and happy and to be part of the community, to be part of the social fabric of this community. And that often families that do work closely with agencies, ourselves included, have better outcomes for their son or daughter and lasting outcomes. So I think it's it's really my message is uh, families should be advocating and should be researching what resources are available, both through the funded system, which in Ontario is through the Ministry of Community and Social Services, and through other sources. So there are other funding mechanisms. There are ways to to network and to build a build a meaningful day, but it takes a lot of work. And I think there's a lot of success stories, and I can go on and on and on, but they're all based on networking. They're all based on, oh, I work at Tim Hortons. I'm going to talk to the manager and see if, you know, they would look at a carved position for my friend down the street who has a developmental disability. It's it's society stepping up to the plate. I think that's really what needs to happen, and for families to take a real strong active role in navigating the system. And navigating the system for the adults, for the elderly people who they're caring for, but also navigating the system for their own help. That is looking after themselves, looking after their own health, because that's important too, isn't it? Well, and we're part of um, a strategy for aging and developmental disabilities. Our agency is part of a provincial strategy because what is happening is that as adults with developmental disabilities are getting older, so are their parents and their families and their caregivers. So we need to make sure that the caregivers are healthy and that they have support and that that as a society, they're not on their, the message is you're not on your own and that we're all part, we're all invested in making sure that our most vulnerable people in our society have have access to quality health care, access to jobs, access to full citizenship. So I think that that's my message, and that's the basis of my work. 
A great message, great work. Uh, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this episode, and I want to say thank you to Lisa for all of the things that you're sharing with us, your experience, your insights, your advice, and that sense of what you're working to achieve and the needs that you're wanting to fulfill. So I wish you, the Salvation Army, the Lawson Ministries, and you personally all and every success in your work because it matters. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about lives of family caregivers and the consequences. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.